You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! If your friends are nerdy and you are nerdy too, I want to talk to you. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jowsma, and joining me from the snowy tundra of Portland, Maine, it is the holiest of holies, it's the Reverend Tracy. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty great. It is snowy. It snowed again recently. You know, it's something that I'm just getting used to. But what's really funny about the weather here is when we first moved into this place, like there's two divots where our tires go. Mm -hmm. And when it rains, it like fills with water. And we've often made the joke that it's like we're backing into it, like we're docking a boat or something. (laughs) But what's great is the weather in Portland fixes it during the winter years because I basically just have it cement filled with you know, ice right now. So it's been kind of nice. I could just park level these days. So see, it's not all bad, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm looking on the bright side of it. It is freaking cold. I think I may have already said this, but I still haven't learned. Gloves aren't optional. I I really need to have them on like the short walk um, Mm. at all in downtown. So that's the weather here. How's it looking in your area, Tim? Yeah, traffic on the nights. No, um, <laughs> uh, the weather is it's normal Portland, uh, Oregon weather here. Uh, the sun actually sh- uh, shone for a little bit uh, today, which was nice. And um, this morning I did get to see the crows, which was cool. Um, and I told you about this uh, via text, but I'll tell the audience here. It was really cool. Uh, the other day, um, I noticed one of the crows were on the electric uh, pole. Uh, so I opened up the door to the deck. That pole that was on the electric that crow that was on the electric pole uh, caught and then out of nowhere another crow that was at ground level came up and landed on the railing of the deck as i was standing there with the door open and that was just like oh my goodness I, it was it was a cool moment now granted i did you know i mean i did save uh, you know a couple like a couple words to the crow, you know, in a calm voice. And then I slowly backed up and closed the door because, you know, I think as with a wild animal, I think that is the limit of the type of interactions I should really have with that. And I think leaving the door open would, you know, I, I didn't want to talk to the professor after that, you know, it was an accident that the crow got in. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it thought it was okay or something. I mean, it's, I don't know how likely it would be for a crow to come in. It, it just kind of goes into they're really smart creatures, but a lot of them like seem to be hesitant of humans because, uh-huh. you know, most humans aren't aware of how intelligent they are. And we have a tendency of, you know, yelling <laughs> at things just because they, you know, happen to be in a place. Like I've just right. seen a lot of humans do this. So I can't be convinced that it doesn't happen <laughs> with enough <laughs> regularity that if I were a smart species, I would also be hesitant of them in general. Um, so I, I hope that they, I want them to leave you a gift. Like that would actually make my year like this early into 2022 yeah. is if you got 
gifted from crows because that apparently is like the you're in like they start <laughs> leaving shiny shit at your door or whatever and every now and then um back when i used to read reddit i would read a lot of stories about that mm-hmm. like where people would talk about you know here's what the crows brought me today and it's like some <laughs> spoon or sometimes it's fishing lures but sometimes they get really weird crap like, mm-hmm. I, I, I wish I could think of better examples off the top of my head. But anyway, having a crow friend start doting upon you with gifts is apparently of high regard in the crow world. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the fact alone that the crow felt comfortable enough to be that close to me, I, I was I was just so happy. I was like, you know, hey, look at that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, as we start the show off here, we do want to talk about the passing of a musical legend. Meatloaf has sadly passed away due to complications from COVID-19. Yes, he did. I, I know there's like some interesting conversation over what his name was or whatever and i did he have it legally changed at some point is what i'm understanding i think he did similar to what gene simmons did yeah like gene simmons is you know from kiss his birth name is not gene simmons he was born in israel it's kaim witz but you know he had he's legally able i i guess to cash checks as both Gene Simmons and Chaim Witz, you know, and I think it's the same with Meatloaf. So like Meatloaf, you know, if he, if somebody, if a promoter paid him a check and signed it to Meatloaf, he could cash it or his birth name, Marvin a day, you know, he'd be able to cash it as well. So I, so to clarify, I don't know if he legally went to court and had it changed, but I, I think as part of his brand, I guess, you know, he, you know, yeah, possibly. I just the the weird fun trivia is that I went to the same college as Meatloaf. He attended Lubbock Christian College mm. before it later became Lubbock Christian University. And I don't know why they were proud of that. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't yeah. think that would be the thing they would bring up, but they brought it up a few times of like yeah, but you've seen Rocky Horror Picture, right? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, but uh, you've listened to any of his music, right? Like, I mean, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights is an ode to teenage lust, and a Christian college is promoting him. <laughs> he must be well, giving them money. It was, I don't even think so. I think it was just some silly fact that they thought we'd care about because it wasn't anything like that they put on the outgoing material. It just came up a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of funny to me that I guess we went to the same college. Yeah. Now, um, as you mentioned, he, uh, you know, he came, first came to the public notice on a national level with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, yeah. He he's uh, actually his his start was in acting. Um, I read that he was actually a part of a National Lampoon touring uh, concert uh, that that uh, you know had some other people associated with it. Um, and yeah, that's how he ended up uh, getting in Rocky Horror. And um, his, you know, his song "Hot Patootie," bless my soul and rocky horror is definitely one of the highlights of that movie oh yeah it's just so funny and i love that movie for just so many reasons yeah but um yeah his part in it as brief as it was was good that song was funny Mm -hmm. so i don't know it's it's kind of a bummer especially you know because of how he went out which i found it interesting Because normally it seems like there's really quick speculation on how somebody died. So it did Mm -hmm. kind of pique my interest, even though I didn't know about some of the things you had actually wound up telling me about. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that they were quiet about it. You know, even when Bob Saget passed abruptly, they immediately at least called out no drugs, no foul play. And like with Meatloaf's situation, I just noticed they seemed to really hesitate in that early breaking news. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was you that had let me know about the the COVID related stuff. Yeah, and that is like one thing we we both wanted to really talk about because it's is weird, <laughs> you know. It's it how how the public is reacting to this, and 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 why do I think it's weird? Like it's weird on two angles. One, you do have some progressive folks on social media that you know have done what they usually do and are, you know, assuming that meatloaf when he was alive was the worst person in the world because gosh, darn it. He was a conservative, which, you know, from every, you know, again, I'm not his biographer. I've not done a huge amount of research on meatloaf, but from what I've been able to find, you know, he was not anything comparable to like a James Woods or, you know, any of, or like a Gina Carano, for instance, you know, he had opinions, he was, you know, okay with saying them, but, you know, he was never like an activist type person. And that's, you know, one thing I don't like about progressives and how they reacted to this on the flip side, you're, you got your Fox Newses, you know, they, they immediately put out an article that, you know, progressives are, you know, ripping into meatloaf for, you know, not getting the vaccine or something like that, which we don't even know if he got the vaccine or not. We just know that in the past he had talked about the pandemic he felt was a political issue and that he felt he felt that if he died because of it he died because of it but he wanted to be quote unquote free he didn't like the mask mandates and and stuff like that but again he wasn't a person that was like an activist i and and to me just seeing both reactions like this just did just shows the dangers of tribalism because as far as i'm concerned i mean one it's sad that he had the dial unneed needlessly like this and two it's like he's kind of a not kind of he's a victim in this particular case because of the bubble um the information bubble he kept himself in right and i mean that is kind of a bummer he was kind of he had asthma and that is one of the underlying conditions and i actually believe he like he may have had other issues as well we're not really privy to all of that information like it's really not any of our business um i just know i guess the asthma thing has come up before you know as a Uh singer and it makes sense you know my asthma comes up as a runner now i've worked out a lot to get there and singing too by the way because whenever i sang for murder mystery it took a bit of learning how to pace myself and exercising the diaphragm and everything to support that Uh you know you you could still do things when you've got asthma but it doesn't mean that you don't have an underlying condition still because it was really kind of funny when i talked early on about why You know, I wanted to be on the safer side of things. I had chosen to hedge bets in my favor, try to stay home where I could, et cetera. And I said, I, you know, I want to get the vaccine and I've got an underlying condition. Uh And, you know, this was some of the stuff that I, you know, was wanting to avoid. But a lot of people was like, oh, but you run. So, you know, you've got asthma, but like you don't have asthma, right? And I'm like, you don't quite understand asthma and that's okay. I'm not like, it's funny because I try not to laugh at people. Like right. when they state a belief like that, because it's really doesn't say anything bad about them, that they don't understand how asthma works. Like it's not their job to be educated on it. It's fine. 
So, you know, that's where it's like, actually, you know, it, it still leaves you kind of vulnerable in certain situations. Like I'm just as, I'm also allergic to like a certain type of like dust, mm-hmm. uh, like for the, it really comes off of like cotton gins and stuff. So it's like thinking about the mix of cotton and the gin dust or something. And like, I'm pretty sure I would still be maybe not as asthmatic like the the attack might not be as severe because i've made my lungs stronger in general by running but you know it's still going to bother me like you can't exercise yourself out of that one so as as much as he did saying he still had asthma and i guess you know he was at least open about being anti-vax mandates and things like that um i don't know how vocal he was because i never heard about it until you know, his passing and it became kind of relevant because he passed from COVID, which just really sucks. But, you know, that's how that shakes, especially if you're the one that's decided I would rather let my natural immunity deal with it. Like that's kind of the breaks when you make that decision. Sadly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the concerning part of course, is that, you know, if he was acting somewhat irresponsibly in terms of like not getting the, and this is just speculation. If he didn't get the vaccine and was still hanging out with a ton of people, obviously that would, the big issue would be, you know, him potentially spreading it. But again, you know, that's just pure speculation. We don't know how he handled this because, you know, in the interviews I read where he talked about, you know, you know, not being, not supporting, uh, the mask mandates and everything, he still very much indicated that he was scared of the disease. Oh, I mean, it's kind of interesting. So I guess like one of the articles I was able to find on Meatloaf passing, it says in an interview last year that I guess Meatloaf said he would rather die than be controlled when discussing the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, he also described face masks as a, quote, nuisance, end quote. And he was asked if he was scared of COVID and he said, Oh, I'm scared to death. You kidding me? But I'm sorry. I understood stopping life for a little while, but they cannot continue to stop life because of politics. And right now they're stopping because of politics. And so, I mean, you can take that as uh, poetic or ironic or whatever it is you want. I mean, it still seemed like he understood that there was a risk there. But I guess he was just willing to embrace that he was of a demographic that might not survive this going on. But it does sound like that he chose not to take the vaccine. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, speculation. We, you know, the family has not come out and said either way whether he had it or not. Um, and it's, yeah. uh, it's just neither means he deserves to die. I guess exactly. Like, like I, 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 yeah, I feel yeah, yeah. no reason to be dark and ugly about this. You know, um, it doesn't sound like he necessarily circulated false information. And you listeners know, like, if we, if you're like, oh no, here's this article I saw a while back where he spread misinformation. I was like, okay, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, at this point, I feel like everybody's a little guilty of spreading misinformation, like whether we like to admit it or not. Uh, you know, it's it's there are just some people who do tend to try to take steps to not do that. But there are an awful lot that aren't. And so I'm assuming that I haven't heard of him being like a big spreader of misinfo. Like, sure, maybe odds are he has with one or two things. I just don't get the spite level of like, oh, well, they deserved it or they got what was coming to them. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I feel like we kind of bonked this as a culture in general. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think on the progressive side that, you know, there's a huge number of people that are celebrating Meatloaf's death. I think most people 
are decent. And, you know, if, you know, the death of somebody, it, you know, shouldn't be celebrated now. Now it's like, to me, this is slightly different than somebody that's like, you know, walking with like headphones on a railroad track and they're not seeing a train or something like that, you know, cause again, I, I don't, I am not comfortable speculating on actions he may or may not have done, you know, because because it's like, again, the big problem here is that this is a a problem for progressives in the sense that the more they continue to disregard people in a meatloaf situation, one, the longer the pandemic is going to go. But two, the more the people in meatloaf situation are going to be less likely to listen. You know, it's stop with the tribal. Now, again, he's, he was responsible for his own actions. He made the wrong decision in not taking this seriously. Well, I mean, but did he, it doesn't sound like he made, it sound like he was totally okay. If that's what happened to him. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound like he went out on his deathbed going, I should have gotten a vaccine. Like he almost seemed at peace with, if this is what takes me out, this is what takes me out. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, th- from that interview snippet, that's what I kind of pulled from it. Uh, you know, unless there's been just a bunch of hateful stuff that I haven't heard about because I don't seek that crap out. I just, you know, if anybody's got kind of that attitude about it, maybe maybe just check some things before you think, you know, ugly that he somehow deserved it and some wahaha is warranted. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I ever remember hearing about Meatloaf was like a couple of years ago when he made a comment about that Greta Thunberg. Um, I, I don't know how you pronounce her last name, but the uh, young girl who um, you know travels the world to uh, talk about environmentalism, and you know he all the, the, to paraphrase, he disagreed with her, said he didn't agree with her, but even in his comments, he wasn't, you know, acting again, like a James Woods. He wasn't acting like uh, Gina Carano or anything. He just said, I simply don't believe her. You know, I, I don't think she has the knowledge. And, 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 and it's like, you can't, it's like, disagree with him. That's okay. But just somebody having a contrary opinion to you is not evil. <laughs> you know? No. And it's not really a reason to hate. Like, I think that's something that, we do well on this show and that we try to do well is to have conversations in a way that, you know, we're trying to have a difficult conversation and show how that gets practiced. Yeah. Right. It's like, I almost want to get to the point where I just no longer am willing to have uh, what I would call difficult conversations with people. If they have not either read a book about political conversations and political philosophy Mm -hmm. or read this awesome book that I do personally promote like they don't pay me or anything I just I had to do it for work one day but it's literally called difficult conversations Mm. so you know you and I don't always agree on stuff but I feel like we kind of at least come out of it not going you know fucking Tim (laughs) you know (laughs) I, I couldn't convince him that my way was correct and it's cool like we don't have that price of admission for conversations and you know if you have that price of admission for conversations maybe just consider that before you go into one yeah yeah <laughs> and know. and especially with politics too because like studies have shown that more often than not people 
generally agree on most stuff. Maybe there might be some differences in how they would execute it. There's not, people don't have that varying, you know, this whole idea that, you know, conservatives are all representative of far right need. It's not the case. It's not the case for, you know, liberals to, to all be the anarchist and whatnot. And, and tribalism, it's killing people, you know, it's, it's, if we didn't, have as much tribalism as we have in this country right now one maybe he'd be alive and and two maybe more people would just listen you know that there's not enough listening people want to talk they want to score points on social media but they don't want to listen well i mean i guess one of my little theories about what's kind of exacerbated it at least as far as like america goes and even the situation is I think a real kind of epidemic we have here is control issues. And it just kind of stems from, you know, we're individuals, we're individualistic. Like that is supposedly one of the cool things about America land Mm -hmm. is that you can be an individual you. But I think like we as humans tend to have a a pattern of overcorrection. And at least American history, we tend to have a pattern of overcorrection. So I just mm-hmm. almost feel like we've gotten to a point like it goes to almost anything in excess can be considered toxic. It's not that it's bad, just that it too much can be toxic. You know, alcohol is a great example. It is technically a toxin. You have a little bit, it can be fun. You have a lot, it can be like fun for a minute and then not so much. And if you have way too much, you could be dead. You know, so that is a thing though, right? It's a toxin. Mm -hmm. We willingly take it in knowing what it is. But, you know, there's levels of health with it. And I think kind of the same thing is happening um, in America land where we're just kind of so to this point of individualism that it's kind of pulled us away from like more of our humanitarian, you know, ways of looking at things. It goes back to the golden rule seems like to be all but forgotten lately. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like anybody is treating the other person like how they'd honestly want to be treated. Like not for real, because it's funny because when the person starts to mirror back the behavior, they don't like it. Yeah. I mean, like, take a look at, you know, um, you know, conservatives that complain about, you know, progressives that protest yet when they have a protest they're you know, they, they don't see the irony in their comments when the whole idea of protesting is very much an American trait and people that do it are good citizens, you know? Yeah, but I did think it was interesting because I've kind of had this feeling about control issues and stuff like that. And to me, like the biggest thing I like to point out is look at road rage. Like to me, I think that is like the open expression of control issues. Mm -hmm. It was something I personally did choose to like stop or work on stopping doing. I'm not going to say like, I just stopped one day. I was just done with road rage guys. <laughs> no, I actually, I would got really good about it. And then I started kind of slipping and giving myself permission to like cuss at people from my car again. And sure enough, one day it escalated and I backed into something. I was so pissed off that I was like ranting in my car and backed into a pole and it's, it was fine. Like it was very slight damage to my bumper because they're mostly plastic now because of, you know, idiots like me, Uh they're just back into things because they're mad and not looking. (laughs) Um, But you know, it is like, it's really, it's me trying to control somebody else who genuinely might be doing their best. Like, because I feel like most people have been in the situation where they've accidentally cut somebody off because they went, Oh shit, that's my turn. 
And that's just what your reaction did, right? So yeah. why do I have to assume that that person is just an asshole and then get mad about it? But it's a, it's not bad of me. I don't think it makes me a bad person because it just kind of seems like that is the general reaction. Most people want to check it through that filter of, did this person do this on purpose, right? But I did think it was interesting that Meatloaf like said, literally, he would rather die than be controlled. And I understand having skepticism in medicine, like in some of it, but I'm just not sure how I feel about like the super harsh skepticism when it comes to like the center of disease control, taking information and making updates as best as they can and pe- keeping the public informed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I, I, that's where it's like, I don't, I don't in a way believe it ever should be mandated. I'm not afraid to say that because my thought is, is I wish it was just more voluntary, but it's like that almost hypervigilant level of distrust. I won't be controlled by like it almost kind of equates to that for me, that, that hypervigilance of it, of being so like uptight about Mm -hmm. somebody doing something to you that it just makes you not open to it at all. Yeah. And you make an interesting point too. Like, like, I love conspiracy theories myself. There are some that are legit, you know, and some that can get a little wacky and whatnot, but it is interesting how that mindset can make you completely ignore reality in, in some cases, you know, whether we're talking about the nine 11 truthers, the QN on people and, or just, you know, people that get caught up too caught up in politics and believing a particular politician that they should not, you know, um, uh, you know, and uh, I don't know this. Yeah. Yeah, But I, I don't know if there was like a situation where, you know, I, I, it's so hard to say with all of it, but anyway, um, I mean, it ulti- sucks that he's yeah. gone either way. <laughs> it does. Exactly. I mean, he, he, you know, as far as his music, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to proclaim to be his biggest fan, but paradise by the dashboard lights is one hell of a song. Um, you know, and, you know, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I even, you know, even though I don't like Diane Warren, who wrote that song and wrote a number of other. No, I don't think she wrote that. It was Jim Stein. My apologies there. But just it's, it's, I don't know. He had a flair about him. And that's another thing, too. If we want to talk about positives with him, like he was a big guy. You know, and in his seventies, it wasn't as big a deal for musicians in terms of their looks, you know, I mean, ELO, anybody, you know, there are people that just had awful faces, but, you know, Meatloaf being a big guy in both the set, you know, having successful albums in the seventies and the nineties during the MTV era. I mean, that, that I think should, he should be commended for that, for breaking the mold of what a rock star could be. You know, they don't have to be the svelte, you know, six pack Chester type of thing. They can be, they can be a big guy and still be the the charismatic rock star that, you know, you want, you know? <laughs> right. I, I go back to, I think everybody knows something like meatloaf in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's such a cult following to Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then if you didn't know him, you probably knew like at least some of his major hits because he did have those. And then if you still didn't know, you were still influenced because I don't know. I think most people have heard that I would do anything for love song, (laughs) like even because it's just used in comedy so much. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's just, uh, so he's kind of like one of those people that's been a little bit in the background the whole time. So either way, no matter what, I think it's kind of a bummer that he's gone, but it double sucks that it seems to be kind of a weird symptom of like these overall control issues we seem to have, like yeah. that have made so many people just completely go, nope, because it's almost like a mix of it, right? There's the control issues that are like there. And then there's also like the talking heads that have been spreading misinformation that helps support the control issue of like, nope, this is why I'm right. And I shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I I think if people spent less time finding out the political beliefs of seventies rock stars, maybe we would be in a better place. (laughs) You know, that's, that doesn't mean seventies rock stars can't give their opinion. Of course, not saying that, but people put far too much, Mm, it's far too much uh whatever into the thoughts of people that you know like again meatloaf do i really did i really need to care about his opinion what like what did he do in his life that merits me listening to his political opinion i'm not knocking him because i would say the same thing for me you know if i'm making a political opinion why should anybody really listen to me because what have I really done? Oh, right. Like, especially when it has nothing to do with it. And that's where it's like, I kind of see the difference in some people that do those things Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a difference between just voicing your opinion, which I do believe they should be able to do. Yes. Right. That is freedom of speech. And if they want to share how they feel about something, why not? The issue I have with it is when they hold like their fans hostage over it almost, which, you know, for example, like not playing a show in a certain, you know, county because it's a certain, you know, political color they don't like. Or, you know, you guys voted against this thing that I cared about, so I'm not going to play there. I mean, I guess it's their right to choose where they're going to go, but they don't need to say why and make it where it's like they're actually kind of grooming their fanship in that way of you better live in a place that, you know, votes a certain way or you will not have me. I I just don't understand that need to cross sect like what you do on a professional level with how you feel politically speaking, right? Like I wouldn't hold a report hostage from my boss because I found out they voted for somebody I didn't like. Like that makes sense in no other working relationship. But uh, I don't know. It it is kind of different, though, like creatively speaking, because you don't necessarily want to put yourself where you're doing something in a place where you don't feel comfortable, like Uh as yourself. I guess there's no right answer, but I, I don't like it necessarily when they're open about it. You know what I mean? Like when they openly say, I'm not going to do this because you did this on a political thing. And a lot of times, and I get your point, and I think a lot of times the, the reason I get frustrated at that is it's it's similar to when people on Facebook make a big dramatic post and not throwing stones. I've been guilty of it, of how much they hate Facebook and how they're never going to be on Facebook again. And then a week later, they're back on, you know, they want the attention. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also, I mean, is it always attention though? Because come on, you and I have talked about it so much where it's like, I would just totally stop. And it's not that I like feel addicted to it. It's just that's, especially during the pandemic and after moving around so much, like so many of my friends, my interactions with my friends are on there. Yeah. And at the same time, it's also just kind of this frustrating space because 
you know, they want you to interact publicly. I get it. It's not really free. It costs me something mentally or data wise or something because I would almost be willing to pay for an alternate to Facebook. But then it would also rely on my friends being willing to pay money credits for Facebook type thing and not just, you know, it being free. And I'm throwing that in quotes yeah, um, because it's not. And I'm aware of that. But it stinks. Like there's not really a better option right now, especially during a pandemic, right? Because yeah. it it is a big part of like where people socially interact. And I think that's why we have more fights happening on Facebook, especially on public posts. Like it's crazy how quick people are to just to pick a fight with you for saying, you know, I've talked about it on here, like I didn't like a cartoon. Who fucking cares? I'm not like an important critic. Like you could have just moved on. Why did you choose to bully me about it? That's weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, people, I mean, assholes will be assholes, but it, control issues will manifest. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it, it's like you don't need to, you know, carry the flag for your beliefs in every online conversation you have. Nine times out of 10, just ignoring the person is going to be better for your mental health and their mental health. <laughs> Right. Because if it's not like urgent or something they need to know, like it's not even worth like quote unquote correcting, especially when it's something that's a matter of opinion. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, so, that's what's unfortunate about the whole thing is it wasn't a matter of just an opinion. It was a matter of how a virus works. <laughs> but yeah. weird side note on that one that I wanted to talk about, like just to show how strong it is, you know, um, my my mother was a nurse. And she was one of the ones that helped me kind of get my head over, like, I should get the flu shot every year. Granted, it was also for real getting the flu once. That, mm. that helped convince me a lot as to why I should get the flu shot. Um, but, you know, she used to be very for that. And now, you know, I've heard from her saying, you know, that she doesn't know what's in vaccines and that there's live virus in there. And I was like, wait, what? Like you were the one that used to explain to people why they should get the flu vaccine. So anywho, it's, it's interesting world that we're living in. Cause it, it's, uh, I don't know what they want. Like uh, how else do you decide what's good for, you know, society, if not like the trusted scientific minds mm -hmm. that were assigned to the role to handle this situation and it's like it really sucks because of how it's been handled you know there's the whole issue of emergency room beds oh yeah still and a big problem still a big problem but not just because of the pandemic it seems to be that that's another thing that, that the pandemics put a magnifying glass over but because it's ran as a business model you know emergency rooms are that fine line think about it you don't want too many people staffed, you're losing money. You don't want too few people staffed in case something happens because then you won't have help and ability to deal with it. But that's why they have like on call and stuff to help deal with those situations. Right. But they were never really prepared to deal with something this long. So the big ask was to please avoid getting it because there are people with other situations and life-threatening situations that can't get hospital beds. Like because of this situation going on for so long, it's also now caused like a staffing issue. So it just kind of stinks to see like kind of all of the levels that this is gone. Like, I, I don't think there was a need to lose meatloaf. Um, and that's me and my understanding and what 
information I've exposed myself to, to yeah. feel comfortable with being a person that got the flu vaccine every year anyway. So I was already more likely to get the COVID vaccine, but there are a lot of people that still believe the flu vaccine will get you sick. Like before I, I've had this conversation a few times. It's like, oh, I can't believe you're just going to get sick. I was like, well, I mean, I'll be kind of tired, but that's just my body responding to something foreign being injected into it. Yeah, it, It's like the same concept of how people can reject organs. Like it hopefully doesn't happen, but you know, sometimes your body will go, oh shit, this isn't supposed to be in here. And then it's got to like figure out what to do about that. Yeah. That's why sometimes when you get an infection, you get fever and chills and kind of those same symptoms, right? So I don't know, maybe it's because I had that, you know, when my mother used to teach me about how vaccines worked and, you know, hey, it doesn't make you sick. It does this to you. And that information seems to check out with everything I've learned. And I'm not an immunologist, but I, I've looked into it, mm. I guess, before I made decisions on, you know getting shots every year, especially yeah. like working at the haunted house. Come on. I, I come across <laughs> thousands of faces like that. I could get up in their business and at the very, I mean, granted with COVID, it was a little bit different than that, but in, in the before times I would get the flu shot because of how often you get in faces when you're doing haunt work. And it yeah. just seemed to make sense. So I get it. There's other people that they just don't get exposed because of whatever their job is cool. Don't get the flu shot. <laughs> you don't, you're probably statistically unlikely to get it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was the same with the retail as well. I mean, it, it I mean, and, and I was, that was one thing that Apple did that I, that I appreciated. They actually had a nurse that would travel to Apple stores across the country. And like during your break, they would, um, you know, give you a flu shot. So it didn't yeah. even have to go to a pharmacy to be able to get it there. And, and you would think more companies would want to invest in that because that little investment is going to be much better than all the sick time you got to pay off if everybody has the flu. Exactly. And it's kind of funny because there's some things that, you know, I hope stick around after, you know, we really are over this. Granted, it's looking like that this might turn into a, you might want to get your annual COVID shot. So it's going to be kind of similar to in history when the annual flu shot was first brought up because they didn't want the flu killing kids and killing the elderly. There was yeah. a lot of resistance back then too. So it sounds like we're probably going to deal with that again. People who don't know their history and, you know, however the fuck that saying goes, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, <laughs> people who don't know that quote are doomed to repeat it. Is that how it goes? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah essentially um, we're going to go through kind of a similar thing with the flu shot when it first was being encouraged as an annual thing. I mean, come on, we had to fight. The country was fighting hand-washing for the longest time as, as a public health thing. There were doctors that railed against hand-washing and felt it was just a waste of time. And it took like some dude, I can't think of his name. I'd actually like made a reference to him um, on a post, I think in the Facebook group, but um, like this doctor, like it took, just a passion of trying to teach doctors to wash their hands so that patients would stop dying because he had put it together that, you know, maybe your filthy hands going into someone's abdomen is possibly resulting in them suddenly getting a fever, getting an infection and dying, um, you know, and it still has taken time. And I had tried to make a joke about this because I deflect with humor, but, you know, one of the indicators to me that we clearly haven't learned anything 
in this pandemic is that there are still an alarming amount of humans in bathrooms that just skip the hand washing step altogether mm-hmm. or like do the weird thing where they just like run it. Like they're going to pretend because they know I'm in the stall, like, and I might come out at any second, but I've like come out at just the right time before where it's like, you could tell they just like dipped their fingers in there really quick and like, look at me, shake them off and leave. And I'm like, I want to believe that you have hand sanitizer in your bag, but I just get a really strong feeling that you don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember at Best Buy, like, um, you know, I used, I used the restroom once, was washing my hands. A manager had come in, used the bathroom, finished, talked to me for a second, said a couple of things, and then walked out without washing his hands. And it was just like, you sick fucker. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Working in an office. Because, you know, we have our own little stalls and stuff like it's amazing how much I saw that, mm. you know, I, I knew that person didn't wash their hands because they like didn't even bother because maybe like, I don't know why it, it seems like it's more gymnastics to figure out what you should do or not do or do just enough to make somebody think that you did believe you washed your hands. Like just wash your hands. It is 20 seconds, you know, plus drying time. If you're really in that much of a pinch it's 20 seconds. You can sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> You're asking too much, though. That's, you know, 19 yeah. seconds I could have doing something else. You know? <laughs> right. But it's like just if more people did that. And what's what's a bummer, Tim, is like I think most of these people are grossed out when they see other people do it. And most of these people would, if you ask them, if you straight said, do you feel it's important for people to wash their hands after they use the toilet before going back to grocery shopping? I have a strong feeling a lot of people would say yes, but not like, <laughs> and still not do it. So it's just kind of, it's an interesting culture we live in. Um, but yeah, just seeing that failing there still continue, like almost at the same rate that I feel I saw it in the before times. And to me, that's the kind of bummer thing, right? Is that it just seems like, okay, so we're already back to this. Cool. So my new practice is, is that I just carry hand sanitizer. Uh-huh. And if I've done shopping and I feel like I need to like touch, I mean, at least I like wearing masks for that reminder of at least clean your hands if you need to like get an itch on your face, mostly because I've just been back to being aware of how people are just kind of gross <laughs> gross in that way like i i don't even want to say it to be mean but it is kind of gross like the toilet especially guys the toilet at the grocery store get it together people <laughs> as someone who has worked retail for well over 20 years yeah i mean like I, maybe i can look the other way if it's three o'clock in the morning you use your own personal restroom and then you just go straight to bed that's one thing but again in a grocery store with what we know about the pandemic now not washing your hands is criminal <laughs> right like and i think it's just because people don't care about taking their shit literal shit everywhere but mm. I don't think everybody puts together, but if you're doing it, what are the odds that everybody else is like, there's no real social pressure yeah. to do it. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting. It goes back to that, that individual attitude can kind of get to a point where it's bad for you. Like not necessarily, well, I mean, yeah, for you, because if the result is, is that everybody is doing that, it is bad for you in the mm. sense of we've, we already know it's not good to get 
certain types of germs on you. But yeah, and even then, like I can even kind of like forgive to a sense, not that it's really my job to forgive. I know I am the Reverend Tracy. Um, my word is law. No, um, but the thing that I guess I, I can understand is if you're in an office in that sense of you went to the bathroom and you're going back to your workspace, like given that people are generally kind of clean and stuff like that, mm-hmm. there's that too. But to me, it's like, it's different when it's a big public bathroom, like at a grocery store, and then you're going back to the grocery store or it's the mall. And then you're going to go back and whatever you've touched in there. Cause not even just your germs, you touch the doors and stuff. Like there's just germs in general there. Right. So Maybe just wash your hands so you don't take some other person's germs into, you know, the clothing rack at Hot Topic or wherever the cool kids shop these days. I don't know. Well, and also, too, like a lot of these places will have like a sign on the wall that employees have to like initial in time, you know, the last time they cleaned it, you know, and sometimes you can be surprised at how often they don't. And it's just like that would be another reason why you'd want to go and wash your hands. But anyway, meatloaf sad that he passed away and um i you know i think the big takeaway uh from this that i that i wish people would take would be that just tribalism sucks you know we can have differences of opinion but to really succeed as a nation we have to be able to talk and most importantly listen and have some empathy for more human beings than just ourselves or our immediate family right i mean i'm not sure if i would I'd want to think about it before I'd say I agree with that statement, like as it is, because I don't think tribalism, it, it goes back to the middle ish, right? Mm-hmm. Like too much of anything can be bad. Cause right. Like what's the opposite of individualism. It would be the tribalism, mm-hmm. but it goes to, I, I wish we had that attitude more in the sense of looking out for each other, like in a wellness sense, right. but maybe, but that also would require like a little bit of the individualism to come up. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm rambling at this point. But to me, I guess one of those takeaways would be like um, not checking, like unchecked bias can be dangerous, like Mm -hmm. for you and other people and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like if you're only looking up articles or listening to people who regurgitate what you say and only having conversations with people who agree with you, like you're not really vetting your opinion anywhere. So maybe that could be a decent just general life practice. It can practice to more than COVID too, right? Because it's just applicable, just vet, vet opinions, vet techniques. But I don't know. I do think it is dangerous when you're like, I will only listen to this human about this thing. I think that's kind of a dangerous attitude to have. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of uh, something I experienced in uh, the early 2000s when the Iraq war was just hitting and, you know, on social media and other places, you know, you would have uh, progressives talking about, you know, picketing and that, you know, politicians wouldn't let their kids go to war. And I was a part of that group in terms of supporting that until, you know, you know, I was talking to a conservative friend and they kindly reminded me that, you know, we don't have a draft. It's a voluntary, it's military service is voluntary in this country. So, you know, that that was just something silly for me to harp on, you know, because, you know, if it's voluntary and a person doesn't want to go, they shouldn't have to. 
You know, there are other things that you can talk about in terms of, you know, the military's recruitment that that definitely uh, need looking at. But, you know, in terms of, you know, trying to, you know, talk about politicians, kids not getting in there, I was wrong. I was using an old argument that, you know, was valid in the 60s when the draft was there, but was not valid, you know, but what I did is I took the time to listen. And, you know, if, if anything, if we're trying to say anything here, just, yeah, don't, don't suffer a confirmational bias here. Just challenge yourself to hear some, you know, hear some alternative, alternative opinions, you know, you got a point. Be, be as open to being wrong as you hope that person is you're talking to that you're sharing your belief versus theirs on. Exactly. Right. Because that's, that goes into that, you know, being careful of your intentions when you go into a conversation, because I don't know about you, Tim, but I don't really care for it when somebody comes at me with the intent of changing my mind. Now, presenting an opinion and giving me information so that I can form my own opinion, super down for that. But when your price of admission is kind of got that stink of, I better be able to change your mind, or I'm just going to get progressively more mad and Mm -hmm. belittling to you. That's not going to be cool with me and I'm not going to want to talk to you anymore. But, you know, that goes to that's the kind of respect I try to give people when we talk about things of different opinions. There we go. All right. Let's move on to talk about some Big Mouth. Yay, Big Mouth. Yes. uh, The episode that we're going to be talking about today is called I Fucking Hate You. (laughs) Oh, yes. this is when it actually comes out and nick takes that turn right where it's like there's no longer love this is the i fucking hate jesse now you know episode so it'll be an interesting one to unpack i think (laughs) indeed indeed um you know and starting off i gotta say of all the episodes that we've watched so far of this probably the one that was firing on all cylinders the most for me so i definitely enjoyed you know watching this one how about you Yes, I know I didn't get the chance to like rewatch it like right before, (laughs) but there's a lot of symbolism that goes on here. Uh, I remember with Walter, you know, he goes through a big transformation and kind of you get the reveal in this one Mm -hmm. um, because hate is born. It was love and now it is hate and, you know, really awesome way that they represented that in the way that they are good at doing it. Indeed. Now let's dive into the topics here. Uh, The first topic is finding a friend who encourages your bad side. And this is in reference to uh, the the Nick and uh, Missy storyline to where uh, Nick found out that uh, Missy was the one who posted the Instagram post about Allie and Jesse, and they ended up commiserating in their anger throughout the episode. Oh, yes. The bonding and the negative. It is something we do as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, you know, people get giddy when they hate something together, right? It, it's almost more exciting to, to talk shit about something, especially when you know that person like really likes it when you talk shit about that thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of chemicals that go on in your brain when you do that, honestly. So it does, in a way, it is being high on it. So it's weird. It triggers a lot of, you know, reward centers. So it's kind of funny how you see it in them. And and that goes back to even that reward center trigger being so well represented in the last episode when the hate worm got into Missy's head 
and uh-huh. she had that shiver to me that's i think what i was trying to say was like yeah like the the pleasure zone or whatever like hitting that dopamine button yeah so it's it's a good representation of how that looks on the outside right when two people start enjoying and almost bonding over that together cuz missy and nick did not like each other i those two haven't really been friends like even when missy was with andrew they, they never really felt close i know there was like a weird situation there yeah um between the two but especially since then they like cuz there was like an almost romantic situation but i guess nick was just kind of like almost leading her on in a way if i'm remembering that right oh not almost i mean they were <laughs> um they were both cast in uh, disclosure the musical and um had a scene where they kissed and they practiced it and um missy fell for nick but nick did not have comparable feelings and um he ultimately ended up uh telling her that during the episode where they all got superpowers and and the since then yeah I mean, they have not had um, any interactions that I remember, but I also don't I, 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 I also don't remember there necessarily being that negative of a breakup. I think Missy was sad, but I don't think it really affected her that much, if that makes sense. Exactly. Like she moved yeah. on from it pretty well. Like it wasn't a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's interesting that it shows how powerful that is, that they really didn't have interest in being each other's friends. Like, And really, the last interaction was kind of awkward and not so great. So the fact that this hate is what brought them together, I think they did a really good job showing how strong that can be. And also what I felt they did really, really good at was showing how off the rails quickly you can get when when you know you find an anger buddy you know because there was yes. a point in the in the cafeteria to where uh, both Miss, missy and nick were kind of uh second guessing um their anger in terms of like quite like like nick you know like sh- told missy you know the truth you know that that she wasn't seeing and vice versa missy told nick the truth and not you know the hate version of reality that was inside his head and for like a brief moment i think it was missy more than anything that recognized that way hey, a minute something's not right here and the, again beautiful oh yeah and it goes back to i love that about missy's character and that's something that i almost wish you could rub off onto people in more of a way is just that ability to doubt mm-hmm. because instead of just ignoring it and going yeah but this hate sounds good and it feels good it was that Nick was saying something that wasn't true. She knew it wasn't true, but he was saying it very matter-of-factly as if it were true. Some might call that gaslighting, just throwing it out there that we don't make good decisions when we're angry. But yeah, like he was rewriting history. And what's interesting is, is depending on how he's dealt with that, like you have the ability to rewrite memory. We've nerded out about that um, on other levels on how memory can work. And stuff like that. And there's actually a lot of stuff around uh, uh, studying oh, people who are pointing out, uh, like they line up the victims or have pictures of somebody who supposedly assaulted you and how often it can be wrong because another narrative got in their head. Yeah. So it is kind of interesting that they didn't really express if Nick knew what he was saying wasn't true anymore or if he had drank his own hate Kool-Aid so much that he really did believe that that was truth. And maybe because Missy knew it wasn't. I think that was something that really opened her up Mm -hmm. to go, wait a second, what if my recollection 
between Jesse and I is not me as innocent as I thought I was. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I know for me, there have been times to where I wish that moment of clarity would happen much sooner. Um, but yeah, it's, it's and, and it's weird too, again, how off the rails quickly you can get when, with, with the anger and how to, like you think when you're in this angry state and you think, you know, I'm going to say something on social media, that's just going to crush that person. And then six months later or a year later, when you're looking at the memories on Facebook, you look at it like, why did I think that was, that was going to hurt anybody? This is stupid. Right. Like what's to achieve? It goes back to when I had had that one argument um, I had shared with you personally, Mm -hmm. the dumb way that the reverend sometimes processes things is that Z will occasionally like make charts. (laughs) Uh, My brain, I just have a business meeting with my brain, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've gotten to that point where if I feel emotionally triggered, I do my best to, you know, triage the situation, right? Get myself through whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. But I do try to like make sure I've taken care of it later. And I think that's a step that a lot of people don't really do. Um, And I I think there's like a lot of value in that. But something that I had done was I had made this dumb chart and it was basically of, do you feel like someone was an asshole to you on the book face? And it starts with, be honest with yourself, breathe, go back. You can maybe nod my way because or nod through this because I know I sent it to you, but it said something like, breathe, go back and read your comment. Now, were you actually trying to communicate nice or did you maybe have a little bit of stank in there and you were picking a fight? And like, if the answer was yes, it was like, well, you kind of got what you asked for then, didn't you? Like they, you were an asshole. So they were an asshole back. Like you literally put that out there. And then there's like a whole chart of like, no, I was legitimately just trying to have a conversation and you know, the healthier side of it, but I had to deflect with humor first. (laughs) All right. Now the next topic here, um, another Missy story here is how fun it is to spread rumors. It's some people can be more of a gossip than others, but you know, there is, you know, similar to you know, that having an anger buddy, uh, gossiping definitely has its, its fun in terms of the, you know, the, the chemicals that can, that can happen in your brain. Oh, exactly. I was going to say there's almost not a lot of need to elaborate too much more just because it is so similar to having like that hate and indulging in the hate and then, you know, creating the account. They're going to see this and then they'll insert blank. You know what I mean? They'll cry. They'll get mad. Like either way, it's almost a moment (laughs) over feeling like you can control somebody's emotions, but do it like anonymously. And then it also like feeds that fun hate button. That's also Mm -hmm. like all of the reward centers are going off at once. All right, then, then, yeah, you're uh, definitely right. They both are pretty comparable here. So we can move on to the next topic. And that's uh, part of, it was part of Jesse's fantasy. And that's lashing out at people when you should be talking. Oh, yes. That's, mm-hmm. I think, crazy common. Um, instead of taking a breather, you know, maybe tabling it, which I'll go into. These are some things that I more learned in, you know, reading about polyamory, right? Mm -hmm. And how it relates to relationships is that sometimes it requires a level of emotional maturity to say, I need to table this topic right now. Mm -hmm. 
so that you can have a good discussion about it later. But, you know, that goes into the emotional regulation. We haven't generally been taught either by our parents or in schools, um, you know, which is probably why that's coming up now that they're trying to teach that at schools. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've totally done that, lashed out at people instead of biting my tongue maybe and having like a calm conversation later. And I'm not even going to pretend that I'm done doing that because I'm not a perfect human. Mm -hmm. So I will continue to try my best, but, you know, it's like with many things in life, it takes practice. So you've got to find when you realize you've hit that I've gone too far button, like further than I wanted to. I've talked to myself about not lashing out at people and, you know, unpacking it from there. It's like what I said earlier, you know, you triage the situation, but then you should maybe postmortem it. So don't just get upset because you snapped at somebody like postmortem that shit and work it out. Um it's really relieving because in the positive parenting hashtag world, uh, there's a lot of message about that and mm -hmm. how you teach things to your kids is by doing them. So it's okay that you snapped at your kid or it's okay that you maybe said something, right? We've got that weird pressure of perfectionism on parents that we need to let go of, I guess, is something that the positive parenting people are embracing. And part of that is admitting that you can be wrong to your kid. Mm -hmm. You know, that you can actually apologize. Like I had big feelings and I shouldn't have yelled at you, but we do need to talk about your behavior at the restaurant. Yeah. Right. So you can still apologize for snapping or maybe being an asshole in a moment and then move on and have a productive conversation. So, right. Like we don't get the training as kids. Usually it's just like, you should have done what I was thinking you should have been doing. Or at least, you know, that was more probably for um, you and I than younger people. Um, um, I know there's some yeah. trends that have changed in that, but especially like us older folks, we were very much more that toxic familialism to the point of I was just supposed to know things. And if I didn't know them, I got spanked or yelled at or grounded. <laughs> Well, luckily, I didn't have too many spankings, but uh, I would have much preferred a spanking compared to getting yelled at for, for like 45 minutes or more by my mother over all of my crimes. You know? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I was one of those kids, though. Like, you could just yell at me and that was enough. Like, I was wrecked. But I mean, I was going through a lot back then. So that's probably a big contributing <laughs> factor. Um, but yeah, I, it was just it cut through me like anything. So I was like, in hindsight, as the adult, I was like, it was never necessary to spank me. Like, not, not at yeah. those ages. You know, when you're... When it's a baby and it's like, you know, you bat their hand away so they don't put it on the stove. Like, that's a little bit different. Or, you know, some of those early on times where they're not quite connecting, like, logic and conversations where, like, they don't really understand what it means when you say don't do something. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, and that is where almost that more... I guess a physical way of dealing with it does seem more appropriate. But, like, once kids can talk logically... Maybe that's when we start practicing the logic talks. And then that's this kind of stuff that I'd like to see that would deal with stuff like this a little bit better than like, how do you talk to your kid about not lashing out? It's like, well, how about we show them by being able to practice it? Uh? Yeah. And, and that is the important thing, too. Like, I know, I, and as you know from experience, you know, when I do, I'm under emotional distress sometimes it can be tough for me to talk and um uh, you know what uh, it's taken a lot of practice but uh, you know what's ultimately worked for me is you know recognizing that at certain times i'm not emotionally ready to be able to talk about it but most importantly 
saying to the person, you know, you know, hey, I can't talk about this now, but on such and such a day and at such and such a time, we will follow up because it will be better for everybody, you know, to do that. And I, I think that's the important, important thing to, you know, apologize, but, you know, communicate too that you're not, you know, and you don't want to dismiss the person and, you know, to acknowledge the fact that you will have, you know, that talk at some point when heads are clear. Right. And that's the thing is like being able to also be okay with being told that that person needs some time, right? Like that's kind of a two-parter there. Just because you are okay with talking about something right now doesn't mean that they are. And Mm -hmm. you have to kind of get out of your head in that sense of you can't necessarily relate everything to your experience. Other people have other experience. So your experience right now is that you can talk about it, but their experience is not that right now. Mm -hmm. And if they're asking for something reasonable, like it'd be different if they've been putting it off for month and month and month. And even then I would say, maybe at that point, the conversation of, do we get a counselor to help us talk about this? (laughs) Um, Which is, you know, that needs to not be an insult first, right? Uh, Going to therapy needs to not be seen as an insult, which is another thing I just love to like get rid of. Yeah, that I, I fully agree with you there. I mean, therapy, yeah. therapists should be treated. I mean, because they are, they need to be yeah, treated like doctors. You, you can, you can totally go to a counselor for just a few sessions to help talk through something like you can do that. that and especially mm-hmm. now it's like, there's so many like telemed things where you could even get, and it's really just getting somebody to help mediate a conversation in, in a good medium way to help everybody remember that you came here to solve a problem, right? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of it is just this is so representative of how a lot of people in our culture do still seem to deal with things, right? There's uh, our parents seem to have the lash out thing. I had the lash out thing. And I, like I said, I'm not going to pretend like I'll never do it again because I do have emotions. And <laughs> like what some may believe, I am not a robot. Um, but yeah, it's it's about practicing it though when you can, so mm-hmm. that you don't have so many regretful the situations. Like when you can't control it, maybe you can minimal minimize those if you could figure out a way to like figure out what you feel like when you're triggered, right? And that's where I think like practices like meditation help because you're listening to your body more, so you can be more in tune with. Oh yeah, my heart's racing. Yep, I can feel my pulses up. And these are the things that for me as somebody, you know, who lives with kind of like an anxiety situation, those are the things that I watch out for to know if I need to remove myself from like a crowded grocery store, for example. I've had times where I've had to leave my cart mm-hmm. and go outside because I was feeling the heart rate go up. You know, there was if it was too busy, too many people were like packed around me. It happened like once there in, in Portland, like uh, in Portland, Oregon, because it's just so crowded, you know per capita is a little bit denser there. So it happened one time, but it's better than me, like trying to push through it and ending up like in the fetal position on the floor and they're needing to call management and it's a whole thing. Clean up an aisle too. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, being, being a little bit more sensitive to those cues of beginning to be triggered can maybe stop you from lashing out at people and then regretting that later. And kind of like the name entertainment thing. I mean, there are a number of people that, you know, don't recognize those signals in themselves. You know, they don't take the time to really think about that, you know, and it's not like, you know, like I, 
have, but that doesn't mean I've also been perfect either. You know, there have been times where, like you said, I'm human. I will still lash out, but, you know, recognizing when I am getting worked up has helped so much in terms of making those lashing out experiences fewer and far between. Oh, yeah. And then what's super funny is you can actually use smart technology to help you out with that, too, because you can usually go in and set an alert if your heart rate goes up, which Mm -hmm. is something I do have set on my watch. It lets me know if it spikes, because then it's not just relying on my brain, which may be in an emotional state. And emotional stated brains are not good at taking in logic. They're just Mm -hmm. not. It's an unfortunate thing. You can practice as much as you want, right? But that's the purpose of practicing to get calm. You don't necessarily practice how to be logical when you're emotional. You practice how to get calm so that you can then be logical. And uh, yeah, that's a very vital step that you get taught, you know, when you do go to therapy for things. And it's like something that I do wish more people were taught in general, right? How many fender benders could be avoided if we like curbed, you know, some of our road rage issues, (laughs) like in general, not just mine, but people like you see it a lot, right. Or like people like freaking drag racing and stuff. So it just seems like if you could catch yourself before you do the dumb thing, yeah, like, you know, maybe learn how your body reacts when you get upset. I'm sure you've got plenty of opportunities to see how you feel when you're upset in life without like going out and looking for it. Yeah, I mean, like there's Will Ferrell movies, for instance. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) all right. The next topic here um, relates to Jesse's story, and that's how much it can hurt to find out someone hates you. And like, I I think back to high school and I was on the cross country team of all things. And, um, you know, there was like a free period I had. So I hung out with the secretary of uh, the counselors, um, you know, during that hour. And like, there was two people walking the hallway and then I heard my name and um, one, one was a person that I was aware of, but never spoke to them. And this person says, Oh, that's him. Just I fucking hate that guy. And just, and I'm like, they didn't know I was in another room here this but they said it was just like the fuck you know and what why (laughs) uh, yeah like i i could understand like if i had interacted with him and gave him a reason then you know hey i'm you know i'm i'm man enough to you know admit that but like it's weird finding out when people hate you or in jesse's case you know finding out that a once trusted friend was so hurt by their actions that they no longer like like you i mean that's a stab that's like a stab in the chest there Yeah. And it's really kind of a little bit more than that, right? She didn't just not like her anymore. She disliked her so much. She essentially started like a social media campaign against her, which Mm -hmm. is something I had shared recently that, yeah, that kind of happened to me in the way that it could in early Facebook times. And I can tell you from experience, it's pretty fucking dehumanizing, Tim. Like it really sucks. Like that's a, and I've discovered that people didn't like me before. You know, I've overheard conversations, you know, it almost seems common, right? Like, I feel like most people have overheard or somehow put together that somebody didn't like them, you know? Um, So it's a different level, though, like to go out of your way to create a page or an account or something and then just start using that to pick on this person. And then what was funny was, is the roommate that was involved in it didn't even fully understand why she did it 
other than, you know, there was already kind of other stuff going on with a more popular person at school that was saying something to the long story short, it was like a whole rumor mill. And it basically, even though the Facebook group, the secret Facebook group had uh-huh. nothing to do with the rumor mill stuff, the rumor mill stuff gave this person, my roommate permission in her head to go and create a page saying, you know, Tracy, we know your secret and then inviting all these people to it and then talking Mm. about this like situation that wasn't even like true. It was based off of some truth and she knew that, but Uh she also knew that she was kind of portraying it as something that it was not. Uh So she did end up coming clean about it at some point. We talked about it, but yeah, like it really sucked to know that it was to that point. Yeah. And you know, I guess there's not much more to say on that because, you know, like you're going to be happy to hear um, that somebody doesn't like you. And like the older yeah. you get, the more, the more laissez-faire, I guess you, I've gotten towards, you know, finding out people's opinions of me. Cause like the older you get, the more you just don't really give a fuck. And I wish I had that as a kid more, you know, not, not completely not giving a fuck, of course, but, you know, cause I, I do think people should strive to be a nice person to everybody, but you know, if someone doesn't like you, so what? Yeah. And it's okay. It's just personality clashes. It actually doesn't mean that you are bad or that they're bad, which is where it's like, we almost see that tendency mm-hmm. that somebody had to be bad, right. For a friendship or a relationship not to work out. And so we take it very personally. When somebody says, I don't want to be friends with you, when really it's just like, a, this is just going to lead to a lot of fighting. So I'm going to bow out gracefully. Like we, we don't handle that well as a culture. Yeah. So because, and I think that almost gives you, right? Because we, I throw in quotes just because I'm talking about the general culture in America, tend to have that feeling of somebody has to be bad for a relationship not to work out. I think that kind of feeds into the person needing to find the bad thing about the other person. Right. It's like, that's why sometimes, you know, people will like just be an asshole. It goes back to, you know, Matthew spurring the breakup and uh, and Aiden telling him, just so you know, it was still you that broke up with me. Uh But it's like he didn't want to be at fault. He couldn't break up with him for no reason. So he had to like make a weird fight happen. And so, yeah, it's just I think it's another perpetuation of that. Yeah. All right. Now. Let's transition to some of our favorite lines. This episode had a lot of fun stuff. Um, Were you able to get some lines? I I wasn't this time, but you had so many because normally I'm the one pulling all the quotes, but you had a lot when I looked. I was like, you know what? Uh, Let's let's go with these. Because, yes, I remember some of these. They're really good. (laughs) Yeah, like Maury. um, I I love the fact, and I'll touch into it a little bit more in the good, but I did love the fact that the writers seem to be a little aware about some of the weaknesses of the show, um, which made this line uh, from Maury. Oh God, you're still doing that tender Andrew thing. So much funny. <laughs> right. Just like kind of calling it out for what it is. Like I, it's almost like they knew this wasn't going to be a storyline that was going to be well embraced or that possibly yeah. were kind of getting a little over Andrew at this point. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a good save because I, that's successful comedy at times is just making a joke about something that didn't work in a joke. Oh, that reminds me of Bill Hicks talking about uh, he, he did this whole bit on conspiracy theories and then the audience just got quiet and quiet and quiet. And then he paused and says, 
don't worry, there are dick jokes coming. (laughs) 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 Just wrong crowd. And you never know, right? Because it goes back to knowing the demographic and you're just every like the the little subcultures in America, right? Mm -hmm. What plays well in one town might not play well two towns over. So you can't (laughs) always be aware, but having an ability to rescue yourself when things don't land is awesome. Indeed. I uh, love this quote from Walter. Um, I just eat cookies and talk shit. <laughs> you know, just the way he delivered it was funny. Lola had a great one. He's got that gronka dunk that makes my Lola lumps plump. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's a way too, because uh, uh, Nick Kroll does the voice of Lola, obviously, and just um, similar to like Maya Rudolph with the bubble bath, he, he with Lola has a way of having her pronounce stuff with P's a lot and and, and, yeah. and I, I love when he talks like that. Um, there's one from Nick here. Yeah, you're gonna be a bitch and run me over like a bitch, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I almost forgot about that part. <laughs> and then from Connie, woo, Jason Biggs just made me come. Yeah, I'm I'm never gonna get used to saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I did remember this one from Maury. This show is middle-aged people playing masturbating children with big feelings. <laughs> <laughs> or or Andrew, how he delivered this line. Well, this big fat masturbator and his big feelings are hurt right now. <laughs> yes, just kind of like calling it out there. I thought it was really great. Um fuck the high road poop in my butthole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, his delivery was great. And last but not least, uh, Connie, I absolutely died laughing when it was just when she said, just like Jason. So God, not again. Because the joke there is that she had a remote control vibrator that she wanted Sean William Scott to have the remote for, but he gave it to Jason Biggs. That's right. Yeah. So it was Jason Biggs making her come through the remote thing. Yes, indeed. Now, the good of the episode what did you like oh yeah we talked about it kind of at the top of the show um the whole transformation of walter i think was great because this you know in the last episode it's like oh my god i think he's dead or whatever but Mm -hmm. you come to find out that he has been reborn um he kind of really passes the hate worm stage and kind of turns into this dragon type creature which you'll really see it when missy starts turning more that way that they are the same creature so it's building up to that which i thought was great Mm -hmm. um going into that symbolism of how really strong love can you know kind of re-manifest into that really strong hate especially when you don't deal with a relationship not working as well as maybe you could Mm -hmm. Um, when you realize like it didn't make Jesse bad for not liking him. Granted, she didn't handle it the best way, but then also granted he had been kind of harassing her and not letting her politely bow out of it. Right. And and he called her out in front of her classmates. I mean, in my opinion, yeah, she had every reason to kind of put him in his place at that point. If he was being honest, I think he would agree with that. <laughs> right. But blinded by the hate. Right. Yep. I mean, even whenever he was talking to Missy, because that was what was part of Missy putting it together was Nick was starting to say how she led him on. And that was the stuff where Missy went right. But that's not right. Yeah. And I don't think Nick ever said, well, you know, no, it's not right. But, you know, I, I don't think he that's where I went back to. I'm not sure if he actually believed that he was lying yeah, he or didn't. if he just 
right you, uh, or if you like, just accepted that but i uh, but and this is just you know speculation on my part the uh, it's like he did not do what missy said in terms of yeah like have that moment of am i wrong on this but i also think he was posturing too you know i because i i've certainly been angry to the point someone told me a truth and i'm like uh uh-uh, you're wrong <laughs> you know oh yeah i mean that's actually the natural reaction anyway is you want to heal dig like it, especially yeah. if that person you know you know, is come at you with that same attitude. It goes back to the, some of the stuff we were talking about before, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I just think they did a really great job with that representation of how, when you feed the hate, it can get really big, really fast. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, Anything else uh, you liked? Um, Not off the top of my head. That was kind of really over encompassing for me um, was just that was such a representation that it really took away the show that th- this to me by the way is going to be one i would say you need to watch like it's not one where I, you could just like skip it mm-hmm. i think it's really important for a lot of storyline and i think it also like is really great representation of how emotions can turn based on what energy you put into them Indeed, indeed. Um, I mean, for me, I had the pretty much the same thoughts on the good there. I, I the hate worm growing was beautiful. I mean, because that's that's what hate does. Once it finally got to grip on you, it will just grow and grow and grow. And I, I really love that representation. And and also too, when we talked about uh, Jesse's, um, you know, uh, Jesse's fantasy earlier, I forgot to mention a line she said because she was in the, the, her fantasy was she was driving the truck. Nick was stuck in the road and she said the line, do you, do you want me to hit you? And that's what got me thinking about, you know, like when you're Nick was angry, but the anger was hiding his hurt. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he was using that anger, I guess, in order to, you know, do the lashing out at her to make her angry in order to get that thing instead of, you know, taking the time, as we said, to talk to her about his hurt feelings. He wanted to hurt her back, but by hurting her, she's going to do the human thing of trying to protect herself and hurt him too. And, you know, I, I really, really loved that uh, in the episode. Um, I love the fact that the writers, like I mentioned, seem to be acknowledging in this episode, some of the weaknesses of the show, um, I, you know, whether it's some of Maury's lines or there were some other references as well, which, which I thought was just like, they get it good, you know? Um, and, and last but not least, I, there was a part where Nick's mother told him to eat shit under her breath. And I love that because it, you know, if a parent told you they would never, you know, say something like that about their kid, they're probably lying, you know, because kids can, it's not that you, it's, she didn't not love her kid, of course, but you know, she annoyed him and eat shit, you know? And, I, I, you know, it's not like I've told my kids to said that about my kids, but you know, just sometimes if they piss me off, like, damn it, you dummy, you know, something like that. You know? Oh yeah. Like that's totally an honest thing. And that even goes back to, you know, if you react <laughs> and you aren't necessarily proud of how you handled something with your kid, just be open to owning your shit later. Indeed. Um, oh my gosh. But yeah, um, I've, I can't even tell you how many times that happens. Like with, with people for fuck's sake, like not even like parent to child, mm-hmm. but like with partners too, like humans have free will and therefore will sometimes do things that frustrate you. It's just how you decide to manifest that. But like, I don't think I could count on 
free digits and appendages how many times the Mr. Reverend has gotten the middle finger from the other side of a wall. Like, just going to throw that out there. There are times like, fine, you're going to be in a fucking bad mood, too. I'm going to be in a fucking bad mood for two seconds until I make this corner. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but that's just because it's not because I'm afraid to show my emotions, though. It's just if I go back out there angry, it's just going to fuel it. Yeah. And then it's not going to help the situation. So, right. I mean, there's a point where it's acceptable. Sure. Get it out. Shake it off. Whatever you need to do, like physically move is what I mean by that. Like there's some studies, of, you know, a lot of animals actually after they've like escaped a predator, like chase or something, mm-hmm. they'll do this thing where they shake their whole body. And so it's actually encouraged some studies on why they do that. And why, like, some, you know, cultures used to have, like, dances after big victories or even failures. And I guess there's, like, some relationship, like, the animal parts of our brain that works the same way. So, Mm. really, if you're pissed off, like, just give it an arm or something or, like, pretend to throw something. You don't have to actually throw something and damage shit. That's stupid. But, um, you know, get it out and then try not to feed back into the anger of the person who's maybe needing a moment. Indeed. Indeed. Now. The bad of the episode. Oh, why did Coach Steve have to be in it? Like, it just goes back to any time Coach Steve. This was probably another one that was a contender for a 10 out of 10 for me. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it's not even a 9.5 just because Coach Steve. Like, he just takes me out of wanting to be in this world. I appreciated the callback to the evil mitten for maybe a second. Um, and it's just because I did think the the bad mitten, the first time it was introduced, was fucking funny. It was really well done. So there was, like, a little piece of my brain that really wanted to enjoy the callback. And then for the most part, I was like, just no it wasn't worth it especially like being such a good episode it just really bums you out when coach steve can't just make a logical appearance like he's got to be more in it than he ever needed to be he's i don't get why they almost want to show him with the prevalence of being a main character yeah i mean to me the part that i didn't like was this is the coach the coach steve only had one brief scene and the mitten did the primary the primarily was the one leading the dialogue and that was this was another instance where the writers were uh, essentially having a little fun you know acknowledging the weaknesses of the show and the mitten i was agreeing with the mitten that coach steve was pretty much useless and i don't think that's what the writers wanted <laughs> you know me as an audience member to have and it's like he didn't need, he didn't need to be there it it made no sense it was just there for for the gag and i you know i could have done without that also the song <laughs> the songs songs on the show have been hit or miss with me if i if they're hit i really like them if not like this one it's just like you know fast forward fast forward and you know it it was a swing and a miss with me but you know it wasn't enough to really you know damage my overall thoughts on the episode speaking of what do you give it a score well real quick which song was it again just as a refresher Oh, it was early on in the episode. It was a duet with Nick and Missy celebrating hate or something like that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even remember it. So it goes to show <laughs> I probably didn't like it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I pretty much, I pretty much agree with you. I guess I'm going to give it like a nine out of 10. I don't think it was so bad that it needs to be knocked down a hole too because of the coach Steve theme. I just yeah. felt the need to express that where I've said I've given a nine before where it probably could have been a 10. 
this is not one of those. Um, and it's, you know, they did a great job, though, of transforming a character mm-hmm. and having a really cool way of, of fit, like giving a visual representation of transformation between love and hate. Um, so that to me was a big reason to give it a lot of credit. Um, something that also was good. I think it was clear that it was good because I kind of talked about it with the overall themes was Missy's character and that whole idea of when you know somebody is saying something that's not true, instead of having that alliance to that human be the main driver, be okay with having a wait, what? And that doesn't mean you never talk to them again. I mean, granted, it almost seemed appropriate in this one because it was kind of very much hate. But just in general, that practice of the wait, huh, is a good thing. And I'm glad that they showed it and that that really got to come through with that overall message that it then translated to Missy to maybe doubt and relook and investigate internally some of that narrative she had built up around her and Jesse. So Super good. I think it showed a lot of really good concepts that I wish I saw more of in our culture in general. So Mm -hmm. that to me drives it as a high. It's nine. It's still a nine. It's not an eight. Indeed. Um, Yeah, I think this is the first episode I've uh, given a nine out of 10 as well. Um, You know, like there wasn't that much bad. And I, you know, um, overall, this felt like the good ending of a good second act. You know, in my notes, I talked about, you know, how at the end of The Empire Strikes Back, for instance, you know, the characters are at their lowest, but they are now on a path to, you know, resolve everything. And I think we're at that point in the show. And just overall, I mean, <clears throat> look at the amount of lines I, you know, put on the show. Just the writing in this episode was just on point. Everything was really almost firing on all cylinders. Um, yeah, this is an episode you cannot miss this season. This is an important one. This is a good one. Yep. Shows a lot of good concepts. I would hands down just enjoy people or encourage people to watch it. So indeed, indeed. So next week um, we are going to be discussing the episode sugar bush. Now, if you are on Netflix, of course um, the, the next episode after I fucking hate you is a very big mouth Christmas, but you know, we've already uh, you know, discussed that episode on Christmas day since it didn't really tie in with the overall uh, storylines uh, for this season. So we will be talking about sugar bush. Yay. Sugar bush. It's just fun to say, and you can already kind of imagine uh like I want to imagine Connie saying it, sugar bush, because the way that she does the bees, like dead on. I love that bit. Maya, please don't ever stop that bit with this character from Bumbast Sugar Bush. Oh yeah, and coming up in March, we're probably going to see a lot. We're going to see a lot more Connie too on Human Resources. Yeah, right. They did announce uh, that they are officially releasing and have a date nailed down, or at least a month nailed down. I don't know if they March fifth date. Okay, March fifth. I didn't know if they'd had a date yet, but yeah, mm-hmm. we're finally going to get the spinoff that I don't know if anybody asked for, but I think <laughs> we're going to enjoy it because they do have some good comedic minds, and because I'm, I really hope that we're going to be introduced to a lot more emotion this way and a lot more like concepts around the things like that we've loved seeing here with the creation of monsters for love how they transform and maybe some thumbs that we haven't even been introduced to yet and um, I'm hoping that you know they found creative ways to introduce stuff outside of childhood Mm -hmm. like the banshee the menopause banshee but I'm hoping that by taking it out of the context of just being related to the kids that we'll get more really awesome and inventive ways to visualize the stuff that really everybody deals with to a level. 
Uh, yeah, that's what I'm excited about uh, about the show as well. Um, you know, it's I, the, the only concern I would have is that hopefully they don't keep too much of the focus on the monster world and, you know, show them essentially at work. If this turns out to be like a, a, a cartoon version of The Office, I, you know, but. I, I don't think they're going to go that way, of course, but, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating it because yeah, to your point, this, this show will give them the freedom to tackle a lot more issues um, than, than one that's narrowly focused on a, a setting set at a middle school. So exactly. So I look forward to it. I hope they do cool stuff with it. We shall probably see. Yes. And at some point in the future, we will review it. Indeed. So I think that will wrap it up for us for another week. Uh, Unless you got anything else you want to say? Uh, No, I do not. I'm ready (laughs) to go ahead and stick a fork in this episode and call her done. All right. So remember to check out our new show on the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network, Hump Day with Tim and the Professor. That is on Wednesdays at noon. As far as us, every Saturday, we're going to have something in this podcast space to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you adieu. Bye, (laughs) y'all. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.